I want to share something with you today that I, I need to do more of. And I'm not doing this to get something or to do something. But the Lord said, take a few moments and just share with the people what true generosity is. And Meg was hitting it so well. What was the one scripture you used out of the first one on generosity? Something 5.8. Matthew 5.8. That's a good scripture. Um, whenever we think about generosity... You know, a lot of times the way we as men and women of God receive offerings and the way we give as believers so many times is what are we giving to? And that's good. That's purpose, right? That's vision. What are we giving to? But really, we're, we're giving to something or whatever. We're giving to for the city, to minister to the city. We're giving to feed people. These are all good things, right? Actually, this year, uh, we will surpass the one million pound food mark that we've given away here at Bethel. Um, that, that's all good. That's, that's giving to, giving for something, right? But what Jesus focused on, he rarely ever talked about giving to. 99% of the time, he talked about giving from, right? Giving from. And what are we giving from? Well, we're giving from our heart as unto the Lord. It's the same way as your employment, right? Whenever you're employed, you know, we work. Maybe you're in a situation where it's not a good place to work. You don't enjoy working there. Maybe you're in a situation where, uh, you know, you don't like the people that are your overseers, your boss, whatever, your manager. Or maybe you're a business owner and, you know, you're out here trying to hustle and get done what you need to get done. But here's the key. What the Bible says about work and employment is you do it as unto the Lord. You're not doing it to bring honor to yourself or a promotion. That stuff can come along. What are we really doing it for? We are doing it as unto the Lord. And I know many times over the years when I was employed by other people or something like that, you know, I had to realize at times I didn't always have the greatest manager over me or whatever. So what what I do? I had to focus on doing it as unto the Lord. <laughs> is what I'm doing going to bring honor to God? That's what this is all about. What I'm doing, is it going to bring honor to God? The same way with our families, raising our children or how we handle them. We do it not just so people will say good things about us and our kids stay out of trouble. We do it as unto the Lord. So it's not what we're doing to or for. Those things are important or significant, and we do need to talk about those because as a church, we need to have accountability ourselves of what we do so you can see where money goes and so on. But the real key is not that. The real key is, what am I doing it from, which has to do with my heart? It has to do with my heart. So just as my employment, when I'm serving or working a job or, or I'm a business owner doing a, a job for someone I've contracted or whatever, what am I doing? I'm doing it not just to get something, but I want to do it as unto the Lord. So even if there's a personality conflict or there's some reason that, that, that I don't have what I need to get it done and I got to work extra hard, I always got to remember, you know, I'm doing this as unto the Lord. I'm not doing it for the person I have a contract with. I'm not doing it for my employer. That's kind of low on the totem pole. I'm doing it as unto the Lord. So whatever I put my hand to, I want it to bring honor to God. The same way in your relationships, the same way in your friendships, having relationships and friendships that do what? Bring honor 
unto the Lord. See, what we got to realize is he is king of kings and lord of lords, and every name that is named will bow its knee to that name that's above all, Jesus Christ, king of kings, right? So what I want you to realize is that you and I are here to bow ourselves constantly unto the Lord. So a way to worship God is not what you're worshiping to God. Worshiping God is when I worship from my heart and honor God. In other words, I put God above everything. See, true worship means that is the center of your attention. True worship means that is something you're honoring and you're putting before everything and everyone else. And when I truly do that, that's why I always tell you that as much as we love our family, Steph and I, and we love one another, we still put God before our marriage. We put God before our children. Why? I can't properly love them and take care of them without first loving God with all my heart, right? So as I love God with all my heart, what does it do? He just made me a steward of my marriage. He made me a steward of raising my kids. Everything in our life belongs to the Lord. Do you believe that? You know, the Bible says that once it was appointed for a man to die, right? So, so death came because of Adam and because of Eve and the sin and where they, they betrayed God and took particularly the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the curse was this, that everyone born will be born in a state of death. In other words, their spirit would be dead. So you are a spirit, you have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and you, you have a body, flesh, blood, and bones. So when we begin to think about that, God is spirit, Right? And therefore, we have been created, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, we've been created in his image and his own likeness, both male and female. He created them to what? To go forth, to subdue, to be in charge of everything that crawls on the earth, creeps on the earth, flies in the air, and all that. You and I are to walk in authority. But we can't walk in the highest level of authority until we have the highest esteem for the one who gives the authority. You see, there's two types of authority. There's direct authority. Direct authority is the person that, that is totally in charge. So God the Father is what? Direct authority. But whenever you see, a, 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 so then for you and I, what does that mean? We are an indirect authority, but it's really what a delegated authority. So we're here to take care of and steward anything he's given us to watch over. We're here to, 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 to bring life to it, to bring to make it better. So whatever we're doing, you can give me a little more monitor, guys. So whatever we're doing, we want to make sure we do it what ask unto the Lord. Now, when we look at generosity, and I want you to think from this mindset, and I'm going to do an old expository style here in a minute. I love this. We'll, we'll be going to 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 8, and then 2 Corinthians 9 here in just a moment. <clears throat> and we're just going to walk through these passages because I want you to begin to maybe, most of you know this and we, in our mindset is, you know, I work under the Lord. Uh, I don't come to church just to be accounted for. I come to church because I'm worshiping father, my father with the time and, and I want to be growing in God so I can steward better whatever he puts in my life, whether it's my calling, ministry, career, business, family, whatever it is, my health. Whatever it is, I'm the steward of that. So as we begin to realize that and understand that, I want you to think, though, more, more so because we probably think 10 or 20% of the time, or at least I do, that's why God's corrected my heart and I'm, I'm bringing it to you, is that most times I'm thinking about, man, all the good we can do, right? Because isn't that the scripture in Acts we talked about this year, that last year and this year, that, that God, that Jesus went forth what? 
doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Well, we, we said we don't ever focus on the doing good. We focus on the oppress- but freeing people from sickness and disease and poverty and fear and all these things. Those that are oppressed by the devil set them free because that's what Jesus did. Lead them to the Lord, you know, get them baptized in the Holy Spirit, disciple them. That's all good stuff. But, but here's the thing. He went forth doing good and uh, healing the oppressed and setting the captives free. But here's the thing. We can focus so much. That's all action. He did what? Doing good. I mean, he made sure the hungry was fed. He took care of those around him. And, and he did ministry to them and delivered them and healed them. That's all good. So it's so easy to just focus 100% or 90 or 80% on doing good. Now, you know, we're a church that believes in action, right? That's what the book of Acts is all about, isn't it? It's a book of action. And we're here to do that. But here's the thing. What good is it if God gives you a building and your entire life is to paint this building? And, and, and what, you, what you're painting, you got your ladder, you put it up on a building, and you're just working and working, and it's time for the Lord to call you home. And you're all excited because you just about got that thing completed. You've done it with excellence. You've done it great. And you get to heaven, and you say, how'd I, how'd I do? And they say, well, not so good. Why? But look, I was faithful. I was there every day. I painted that building with excellence. I would care. The problem is, sir, your ladder was leaned on the wrong building. So when we think of the building blocks of God, we got to realize that if I'm building my faith, my hope, my love, and what I can do for him, that's the wrong, wrong building to put your ladder on, right? The proper, con- I'm sure Sandy in the flesh, he works hard at Toyota, right? But I'm sure he don't like, you know, I'm sure every Sunday morning, it's not the easiest thing to get up when you've worked six days a week or whatever, and you go all the way down to Winchester to the jail, and you minister every Sunday, getting people saved, baptizing dozens and dozens every year, and come back, rush back here to church, and then he starts all over again Monday morning at Toyota. You know, I'm sure your flesh doesn't always say, oh boy, I get to get up and go minister to people in the jail, right? Oh, and then, by the way, I'm going to rush back real quick so I can get fed at my church and be a blessing to others. And then, you know what? I'm going to get up real early Monday morning and go into work and work 10 or 11 hours. But I'm sure Sandy doesn't do that for the reward that he does it as unto the Lord. So as we're doing this unto the Lord, what is it? That's, That's true honor. That's true gratitude. So when we talk about generosity, if I'm just doing generosity to check it off my list or doing generosity because I have a burden for someone or something, like Prophet Trout said last week, the, the Bible says, Jesus said, the poor will be among you always. Because when they, the, his disciples were getting on Jesus about allowing, you know, the prostitute that broke open this year worth of oil. It's, it's like someone's income for the year, the oils and the frankincense. And she oiled, put it on his feet, and she did all these beautiful things. Usually they save that for burial. It was so expensive. And they got on Jesus. He said, wait a minute, guys. The poor will be with you always. The sick will be with you always. The, the, the things that you do and accomplish, yeah, that's there. But that's not why we're doing this. He said, you forgot the better part. She remembered it. She's honoring the bridegroom with all she has. And then what about the time whenever Jesus, you know, it's kind of funny how he took an offering. He didn't really take it. Once the offering started, he stood up and watched what people put in the bucket. Oh, huh, hmm, okay, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And I'm sure those guys coming up and, you know, with the big, big coins, throwing the big coins in, right? Today it'd be a Bitcoin, I guess. Throwing the big coin in. And then this little old widow comes up and put in all she had, which was just two or three little mites, and he stopped the whole program and said, I want you to know this is the greatest offering that's given today. Why? Because not only was it sacrificial, it was from her heart. Everybody say, from my heart. Now, when we look at the reasons that maybe we're not generous, maybe we're not giving, it's really, uh, I heard this recently, it's called the uns. The four uns, unable, unwilling, uninspired, uninformed. So the reason that we don't give or don't sow is we think we're unable, which we'll even talk about that in 2 Corinthians 8 because the whole offering there was to give to the poor churches in Jerusalem, right? And they were riding off the momentum of the poor people in Macedonia who were much more poor than the port city in Corinth that, that Paul's sending uh, his disciples to to receive this offering. And so we begin to think about that, and, and the Macedonians gave out their poverty, and God blessed them back. But he wasn't just blessing them because they gave. He was blessing them because of the expression of their heart. Now, there is offerings, right? Prophet Ed even talked about it last week a little bit. You know, there's three different kinds of offerings. The first is you return your tithe to God. That's one. Number two is you give offerings or seed offerings to expect some 30, some 60, some 90, some 100-fold return. And then there's a the sacrificial offering, which is a gift where you don't expect anything in return. You're not asking God to multiply it. You're just doing it as unto the Lord. So a lot of times is that we're, we think we're unable to be generous, but we're not. Jesus proved that in the tabernacle, right, when the little lady widow came up and gave what she had. Uh, or maybe it's not just being unable, but it's unwilling. You know, I, I got to pay my bills. I, I got to get paid my kids. I, I got to do all the things, and, and, and I, I'm, just, I'm just unwilling to do that. I'll give some, but I'm just unwilling to go all in. And then the other one is uninspired. Maybe you're just not motivated. There's not enough vision. There's not enough good things to do. Well, that's probably not what it really is about. It's probably more about being uninformed because if you're uninspired, you're really uninformed. So when we talk about being uninformed, that means that we haven't been discipled properly. We haven't been discipled properly. I said we haven't been discipled properly. Now, I was listening to a podcast about churches and church growth and this week, and, uh, and it was talking about a lot of churches closed during COVID and haven't even opened and may never open. A lot of churches were in just financial turmoil. I'm talking mega churches with 5, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 members are struggling right now. Not all, but a lot are. Why? Because they were receiving gifts based on the purpose, based on what they were giving to and the enthusiasm and the conviction and the excitement of doing good works. But they weren't discipling the people to understand that that's all good. That's the cherry on top. But the real reason we give is because we give from the heart and honor God. That's why it's so difficult for people to the Bible says, return your 10%, return your tithe. What is it? That's just a heart check. That's all it is. It's just, all, it's just God just wanting to remind us every time we receive something that we put him first. That's why it's the first 10%, not the end of the 10%. Right? Why is it? The tithe is just an opportunity for you and I to reveal our heart 
toward the Father. Hmm. I, I, I'm not going to get on that right now. So, okay. So, uh, so we look at that and we begin to think about what, where are we giving from versus where we're giving to. And that's where so many churches, small, medium, and large, have suffered. We've been very blessed through COVID because you've been discipled, right? You understood why you're giving, and God's bringing us through strong through this whole deal, very strong. And the reason he's bringing us through very strongly is because you've been discipled. Now, there's a lot of new people here, so I want to go back through some familiar scriptures that if you've been around here, you've heard me teach from quite often. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, I don't know if I want to teach you from Old Faithful this morning or if I want to teach you from my iPad. It's actually this to scriptures anyway. So just be ready back there for 2 Corinthians 8 out of the AMP and out of the New King James. So let's go with the amplified verse first. No, okay, okay, Holy Spirit, I'll do it this way. It's your show, <laughs> for sure. So it says in verse eight, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now remember we're talking about it has a title in my Bible, Excel in Giving. But when we're talking about giving, again, we're not talking about what we're giving to. And we give you a lot of vision. We got new vision. We're building on vision and adding vision coming into January. We always do that around here. There's some exciting ministries we're going to highlight. And, and we're doing For the City at least two more times. I mean, you know, you think about that. What's uh, two, what's the percentage of two out of 52? Anybody quick with your math, right? So what's that, 10, huh? Two out of 52. So anyway, we're sowing that many services back to God. And we're honoring him and trusting him. So it's a church, it's a big step of faith to say, we're not going to like be having a traditional service, and which we never do a traditional service, but we're not going to have just a regular service and then, and then, you know, and receive tithe and offering and everybody's focused on the house. Instead, we're coming together to get fired up, trained, and ready to go out all day on Sunday, or at least half a day, together to minister in, you know, for the city, both Lexington and Nicholsville area, for the city. Why is, that's, that's a seed, obviously, but more than a seed, I don't look at it as a seed. I look at it as a sacrificial giving for us as a church. And I just feel you can't outgive God. I know you can't outgive God, but why is that? Because our heart is for the city. Our heart is for the lost. Our heart is for the broken. Our heart is for the widows. Our heart is for the addicted. Our heart is for the up and out and the down and out. So as we begin to understand that, guys, we realize that when we excel in giving, what are we doing? That means we're generous. And if we're generous, that means not just generous because there's a good thing to do or give to, but we're generous from the heart because we have a heart of generosity. So verse, chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says this. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, he's talking about the grace of God on the churches of Macedonia. Now, for the saints, so the church of Macedonia, which is a very poor church, that is great, that is a great trial and affliction of abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abound in the riches of, of their liberality. Now let me read that to you from the Amplified. It says, Now it is unnecessary for me to write to you about the offering that is to be made. So, make sure I'm on eight. 
Yeah, so it is unnecessary. Am I on eight? Or am I on nine? It's all right. I've done this a couple times. I know it's shocking. Don't worry. I'll get it. So it says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you about the grace of God, which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia, wake, awakening them in a longing to contribute or to give. For during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and deep poverty together, their abundant joy and deep poverty. I mean, how can you give out of, you got abundant joy, but you're in deep poverty. The churches of Macedonia were very poor. Now think about the church of Corinth. That's where the gifts and all this cool stuff happened, but it's the wealthiest church as well there and Ephesus. Why? Because they were port cities. Be like our San Francisco or something or our New York. But it says these people in Macedonia, man, they're giving out of joy, but also out of their lack of abundance, right? It says uh, for their, uh, verse 3, oh, it says, let me read verse 2 again. For during an ordeal, severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty together overflowed in wealth of their lavish generosity. Wow. How can you be lavishly generous when you're fighting to make it through the end of the week or the end of the month? Well, they teach us that because what God equates, just like when Jesus kind of offered, he's counting what we give from the heart. Someone could give a certain amount of money and it looks impressive to everyone, but it's not even a tip from their heart. But someone else could be given all they got or such a huge sacrificial gift and it just seems like it's not that much at all. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that God not only knows your heart, but he knows the very intentions thereof. Hmm. So he knows not just our heart, but he knows our very intention, what we intend for something to be. And now Paul is just, man, he's fired up. He's talking to this, getting ready to, you know, he's talking right now to the church of Corinth. And he's telling them, these people gave out this lavish generosity. Verse 3, for, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability. They went according to their ability and beyond their ability. They gave voluntarily. Hmm. So they weren't, their arm wasn't twisted. You say, yeah, don't twist my arm. Well, maybe it's God. I don't know. Anyway, so just saying. Uh because I'm not taking an offering right now, so I'm just teaching you, right? This is discipleship. It says, for I testify, according to their ability to give beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, verse 4, begging us insistently for the, the privilege of participating in the service for the support of the saints in Jerusalem, the other poor churches. Now, begged us insistently. You know what that tells me? Whenever Paul and his team went there, that they started that church, but it's in an area that was very poor. And they're trying to get those people to make it through, right? They're trying to get those people to raise their economic situation, to be successful in God so they could spread the gospel there. So they probably, when people first said, we want to give an offering to the poor churches in Jerusalem, they're, they're probably like Macedonia or whatever. We don't want to give the offering. I mean, what, what's it saying? It's saying? When they had to beg and insist, I've never seen a preacher make people beg to give. I've certainly never done it. I'll be truthful with you. Begging people not to give, I mean. They were begging. And, and, and here Paul is like, they were begging us to give to us. And we were like, whew. Both out of what they could afford and couldn't afford. 
Now, what am I? What now? Again, don't get caught up on the two or the what. Don't get caught up on the two, what I'm giving to, or what I'm getting in return. Right? That's not what generosity is. That's giving. But if you want to be generous, generosity is I'm giving from a heart after God. I'm giving from a heart of obedience, a heart of intimacy and love that puts him first. Verse 5 says, not only did they give materially, as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us, his representatives. By the will of God, disregarding their own personal interests and giving as much as they possibly could. He said, look, they gave themselves. When he says they gave themselves unto the Lord and to them, the disciples, they wasn't talking about they were some weird mind control or whatever. What he's talking about is they, they became their disciples. So that's why a lot of people get mixed up about baptism and stuff, that when you're baptized in a Jewish faith, but also when you're baptized during the time of John the Baptist and Jesus, but especially John the Baptist, you were baptized not just unto God, but unto your disciple, who you're being discipled under, to your rabbi. Your rabbi would baptize you. That meant you became his disciple. And that's why many were under the baptism of John. But then what happened when Jesus changed it all after John's death, Jesus wrote, da, 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 now we're baptized unto Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And people still want to split hairs over all that. But basically, we're baptized to God, our main discipler. He's the main one that leads us, that disciples us, and encourages us. And he said, just because they were so lavishly giving through generosity because of their crazy love for God and for those leading them. Wow. It's pretty cool. So then, so he says in verse 8, so we urge Titus that he began it, Titus that as he began it, he should also complete this generous work among you as well. In other words, it's like Titus and the disciples received this amazing offering from Macedonia to give to poor churches. and said, wait a minute, they're going to sow to the poor churches in Jerusalem. They're poorer probably than the places in Jerusalem, but they're going to sow to them. How about you that really have a lot to give and you had the gifts, that's where you learn about the nine gifts of spirit, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healing, all that. You got all this power, but are you generous? I keep feeling like that thing's attacking me. Anybody see it? So, so you can have power and not be generous. Because that in the scripture says, you cast out devils in my name, you healed the sick in my name, you saved the lost in my name, but depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. In other words, you're really good at doing, but you're not very good at being. I said you're really good at doing, but not very good at being. In other words, I am not what I do. I am who I am in Christ, the hope of my glory. So what I am is not what I do. I, the, the, what I do is a fruit of who I am, right? If you're a depressed, sad person, and you always come in the room and everybody's like, oh, start to ease out of the way, or maybe you're an angry person or a person that's just not consistent. Before long, the room just empties out. There's one pearl soul that didn't have the heart to leave you. They'll sit at the table and listen to your, your deal. Right? So there's usually always one. Thank God for that. But, but see, people, in other words, 
you've got all this stuff on your mind and heart that's bad, that's wrong, or that could happen or did happen or may happen versus coming in with peace and confidence and trust in God. Because even if tough things are happening to you, if you totally trust in God, you know he's going to turn it for your glory and for good works. That's why people who, uh, like Brandon and others, who's dealt with addiction in their life are great leaders of ministry for addiction recovery. Why is that? Because they have such a heart they've been through, and through is important, and they see the significance and the importance of that, and they can relate more than anyone else because your hurts become your ministry. Your pain become your ministry. Well, I don't know, preacher, about that. I just Well, then, uh, we hurt God. Our great, great, great forefathers, Adam and Eve, hurt God. How could they hurt God? He said he created them, what? Not only in his image and likeness, but he created them to fellowship, and he would come down every day and walk the garden and fellowship with them. Every day, he just walked the garden and fellowship with them. But then he came one day, and he sent something. Oh, wait a minute. What, 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 what's up here? You're hiding over there, but we're naked. Well, you've been naked the whole time. But, 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 but we, but this woman tricked me. No, Adam, on up. That's basically what he said. This woman tricked me into eating of that tree you told me not to eat of. So, so it hurt God. And it broke God's heart because we were those that he had to have relationship. Because angels are supernatural beings, but they're not like us because they were not created in God's image. Only human beings were created in God's image and likeness, right? So only us were created. Hell is not for human beings. Hell is for not fallen angels, angels that were kicked out of heaven, evil angels. Over one-third of the angels were kicked out, like lightning, the book of Luke says. And hell, the reason it's so vicious, eternal, and painful is because it's for supernatural beings. But unfortunately, we're going to be part of that due to Adam and Eve and their mess up, right? But then, then what happened? God's pain became his ministry. God's pain became his ministry. But what was his pain? Romans 5 said, you know, the first Adam did this and this, but the second Adam is coming. Who, the second Adam came being Jesus Christ the Lord, right? So the second Adam came so that you and I could reign in him again. In other words, take back our authority in God to reign over things in this earth and to release our faith and to release his, the, the anointing and the power of his delegated authority to whatever we're doing and wherever we're at. So Jesus came to suffer to buy back, the Bible says redeem or purchase back, our right for our spirit man to live and to be a son and daughter of God again. Hmm. Isn't that powerful? So really, that's why when, when uh, Meg was talking about it, right in John 3.16 and so on, what? That God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son, not to condemn the world, that by through him the world might be saved. In other words, now Jesus was there with God when he was creating man because it says, we have, he said, I have created man in my own image and likeness. We have created, we, W-E, have created them both male and female, in our likeness. What is he saying there? So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was present whenever he was created and whenever he was doing all these different things he was doing. And now his son, his only son, is giving his own life to purchase our redemption. 
Wow. It's a heavy rabbit, isn't it? Think about that, guys. When we begin to really understand the heart of God and understand how we are the only ones that really can hurt him in the sense of we're his kids, Satan's already tried every trick under the book. He knows his sentence at the end, right? But you and I, have, we operate because we are God's chosen creation and he created us. And that's what John 3 says when you're born again, right? Nicodemus came to Jesus, great rabbi, what must I do to be saved? He said, well, you must be born again. He said, how can I be to see the kingdom of God? Well, how can I be born again to see the kingdom of God? Well, my mom's dead. I'm an old man. How can I? No, you must be born of water and the word to enter the kingdom of God, to enter. So Jesus is talking about there is an entrance into the kingdom, salvation. But the whole deal is get to the point you see the kingdom. How do you see the kingdom? How do you see the kingdom? Well, Jesus was asked that question by John's disciples, wasn't he? When John was getting ready to be beheaded, he sent his disciples to say, hey, this Jesus is, you know, he's my cousin. And I know an angel, I know the Holy Spirit dove landed on him. God said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. But this grace stuff and this forgiving people and this, you know, not being political and not being vicarious and not, you know, being this, I don't know. I mean, how's he going to be the king if that's the case? So Jesus told his disciples, just go back and tell John what you see. The lame are healed, right? The dead rise. The lost are saved. Woo. Once they told John he was all right to be killed, then he's like, okay, I can go on now. My job's done. So to begin to understand that, we're not only here to be born again, to be enter the kingdom of God. We are also here to see the kingdom of God So when we enter it and we become sons and daughters and we see the kingdom of God because the children of Israel, what, knew God, but Moses knew God's ways. And when we begin to not just know God, but we begin to know his ways, we can make him seen. See, that's what this is all about. Not being seen, but making God seen. Not being the one that's the shining star, but being the one that always reflects to God, our Heavenly Father, who created us for His pleasure. So, verse 7, it says, But just as you excel in everything and lead the way in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in genuine concern, and in the love for us, see that you excel in this gracious work of giving also. See that you operate in this gracious work. Now, that same verse in the New King James, it says, uh, but as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in what? This grace. Everybody say this grace. What grace he's talking about? Just keep your finger there. Turn over here to 2 Corinthians 9 and look at me what kind of grace it's talking about here. So it says in chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 9, Verse, let's read verse 7 first. Verse 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he what? Purposes in his heart. Purposes in his heart. Now the Greek word for purpose is pro 
thesis. Prothesis. Pro means before. Thesis means design or location. So as he pre as he's been designed in the place of his heart to give generously, right? So it says we give his heart not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God what loves a cheerful giver. Now here's verse eight. And God is able to do what? Make all grace, everybody say all grace, abound towards you in all things. Now, what's that talking about? All grace. Now, grace, charis, the Greek language, God's, that's God's free gift, the root word of charisma, God's gifts of his spirit. But what I want you to get here out of this is this grace that abounds toward us in all things. When we make God supreme, when we make him king of all kings and lord of all lords, that means he's the king of my heart and my mind, the lord of my heart and my mind. He's the king of everything that I own. I'm his steward. When we do that, it opens us up to receive that same power of grace that brought your dead spirit alive again, brought you into the kingdom. It, what it does then, it enables you to begin to use that same grace in your marriage, in your dating life, in your education. That same grace what with family, with relationships. That same grace in your career, your education. That same grace in your ministry, right? So what happens is that grace abounds. It hunts me down. It, 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 if I, well, not because of the amounts I give, but because of the heart I give it from. See, if we just said, all right, Buffalo's got so much money, you don't have to give anymore. That'd be a sin to God. Maybe you don't give here, but you need to give somewhere. Why? Because when you're a heart of the giver, you're not just giving because it's your church. You need to stop that language. Stop that language. Well, why are you giving such a big gift? Family, some family member, why are you going to give a gift like that to the church? Because this is my church. No, that's not why you're giving it. It shouldn't be. You're giving it as unto the Lord, and he directed you to give it to your church. <clears throat> because he is the church, right? And as we begin to understand that, guys, we just got to rewire ourselves. And a lot of us that know this, we got to start tweaking our language and our thoughts because your thoughts are going to, what, your, your language follows your thoughts. So if I have the wrong language coming out, that means I don't have the right thought process. If I don't have the right thought process, I'm going to be wrong and not right. Is this helping anyone this morning? <clears throat> so if I want all grace to abound to me in what all things, what happens? So that you, everybody say always, having what? All sufficiency in all things and may have abundance for every good work. When I get my heart right, God will get in my hands what I need to do the work with. When I get my heart right, God will give me wisdom or relationships or whatever I need, training or revelation to raise my kids. He'll give me whatever I need to be a better husband. He'll give me the, to be the best husband I could be, to be the best pastor, the best friend. When, when I begin to understand that the number one grace is to put him first in everything and all, then everything else categorically falls right under that. And then it truly then is something I can steward, not from my wisdom, but his, not from my strength, but his, not from my might, from his, but from the spirit of the Lord. And I'm not talking about getting pseudo. Well, I just got to pray. Lord, do you know? Pray, yes, of course. But you don't have to pray about everything. You're, you're smart enough to make some decisions. 
And if you make the wrong decision, let God check you. But if you always do it, ask unto the Lord and what's best for God and what's best for the people you're doing it for, you'll rarely be wrong. You'll never be wrong if it's true. Sometimes you just think it is and it isn't. But at least if you miss him, miss him sincerely. God loves sincere missers. <laughs> you know, one of the definitions for anointing is uh, target. Target. So it is like hitting the target. Another smear on and all that, but it's target. So, so sometimes you miss the mark. You miss the anointing. But if you miss the anointing sincerely, he's going to keep coming after your heart because the, step, the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordained of the Lord, right? And so what he wants to do is he wants to get you the right information, the right opportunity, whatever it takes to be righteous. Righteousness is not doing works righteousness is your standing relationship with God everything else comes out of that all works come out of that let me jump right back over here real quick and then we'll, we'll wrap up here oh, I got little brother now giving me my time right sis is out today right? you seem a little nicer just saying I don't know nah I'm just kidding she'll whoop me now I'm in trouble Paul's like pastor you're in trouble now nah she's nice big brother I'm sorry so, so as we look at this, don't tell her I said that, okay? She'll get me. So look at, look at verse, uh, hmm. well, look at verse 8. So I'm not saying that this is a command to you to dictate you, but to prove by pointing, but prove by pointing out the enthusiasm of others, the sincerity of your love as well. The sincerity is your love, pointing out to others. In other words, people see the kingdom because they see your love, and they see your love is not just to get a wedge between them or to, to lord over them, but your love is simply expressing the love of your heavenly Father. Right? It says that clearly, clearly the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, his astonishing kindness, his generosity, his gracious favor, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich, abundantly blessed. Here's verse 10. Paul says, I give you my opinion on this matter. Okay, Paul. This is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to take action to help the believers in Jerusalem, but also the first to desire it. So finish this so that your eagerness in desiring it may be equal to your completing of it. Mm, completion of it. According to your ability. In other words, God's not asking you to do what you can't do. He's just asking you to do what you must do. Mm. Verse 12. For if the eagerness to give is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Whew, man. So, so giving is what? Giving is all about the heart, guys. And, and, and are you eager to give? Are you like, okay, I'll give my time today. Oh, Lord, oh, they're going to ask for another offering, special offering. Yeah. Want me to pay for the sound system or something? I don't know. We should be like, man, what can I give? I, I want to give. I, I'm praying. Man, I'm looking. Like me and Terry, we, we, he's on my call, and there's some of the others on the call, Ashley and him. We're, we're, we're like every week, we're targeting just something to challenge us to release our faith, a seed toward a ministry or toward someone or helping someone. And I tell you, man, you can target that. Now, I'm giving that as not necessarily sacrificial offering. I'm giving that as a seed offering because I want return. But there's other times that week I can give a sacrificial offering, right? So, so what happens is when you start practicing it, it becomes real to you. 
And it, it becomes second nature, really first nature. So, so giving is not about what you give or did you finally make it barely by the wire, even though you didn't want to grudgingly, but you did it cheerfully because you're looking for opportunities to bless. Anybody looking for opportunities to bless this morning? Okay, let's jump over here and let me wrap up 2 Corinthians 9. I can stay there for a while. So as we look at 2 Corinthians 9 here, <clears throat> oh, I'm in the wrong one. How did I do that? There it is. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9. So, so I stopped up there about grace, right? So I know I didn't have this all planned out. A lot of times I'm topical. I got my whole message planned out. This is more about what the Lord put on my heart yesterday for you. <clears throat> but I know it's good, so I'm not worried about it. So if you back up here, he says, verse 1, it says, now, it's, now it is unnecessary for me to write to you about the offering. In other words, he said, I shouldn't even have to write to you about this, about this offering, right? Because you've been discipled, you know. But if he feels like he has to write to him about it, then there's some that's not discipled yet. And uh, you need to do it. No, I don't want to give you a, yeah, okay. So he says, uh, I proudly boasted about you to the people of Macedonia. He goes through this whole thing, building them up. Then verse 5, it says, That is why I thought it necessary to urge these brothers to go to you before I come and to make arrangements in advance for this generous previously promised gift of yours. He keeps saying, you know, you originally promised this, so that it may be ready, not something extorted or wrung out of you, but as a voluntary, generous gift. So that's when it goes on down there to say, you know, let each one of you give thoughtfully with purpose as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or any of that, as he's decided in his heart. So don't ever give a seed if you haven't decided in your heart you have a desire to give it. Now, sometimes it takes faith and you're a little fearful because it's something God's really challenged you with, but give it cheerfully. Always give seed, always, but now returning tithe, that, that's just, that's not yours. It's the Bible says in Malachi 3, you steal from God if you don't do that. That's up to you. But tithe and sacrificial giving, always give that through a heart of generosity. A volunteer, a volunteer, voluntarily give that gift. Okay. Let me get down here to the good stuff, some more good stuff, and then we'll wrap up. So it goes on to say, let me uh, read uh, this, this verse 9. As it is written and forever remains written. Okay, as it is written, forever remains written. He, the benevolent and generous person, scattered abroad, gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What's he talking about? Not his works, his standing with God endures forever. Now that's out of, Pro out of Proverbs, I think, is where that came from. Verse 10 says, now he who pro provides seed for the sower and bread for the food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing. So in other words, if he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. And he says, now provide, provide and multiply your seed for sowing. That is your resources. Hmm. If you want more resources, be resourceful and sow. Right? And increase the harvest of your righteousness. Increase the harvest which shows itself active goodness and kindness and love. So what's he saying here? He, he, he's saying, how do I, I can't increase my right standing. Because when I'm blood bought, I can't get any better than that. I'm his son, his daughter. But now he's talking about the fruits of your righteousness. So where are you stacking up your wealth on this earth or in heaven? 
you can't, you, you know, you can have it attached to the hearse, but it's not going to heaven with you. Right? They can bury it with you, but it's not going to heaven with you. It wouldn't even be a tip in heaven anyway. So, so, so what am I saying here? So we have our right standing with God. We can't change that. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Of means begot or born from in Christ Jesus. So in the anointed one and his anointed, that's who we are. That's what we're about. But how do I increase the fruits of that righteousness? By getting greater, greater revelation of the kingdom, by giving, investing in others, what happens is then it helps people to see God in a better light. It helps them to see God his love that he would be so generous and give and give to others. I'm out of time, so I'm going to wrap up. Hmm. Try to decide what to give you here. Verse 11 says, You will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous. And this generosity administered through us is producing what? Thanksgiving to God. In other words, when we do for the city, it's not bringing glory to us. It's bringing glory to God that his sons and daughters care enough to go out and do something, time, or buying something, or fixing something, what? And we're not just doing it behind the four walls. We're sacrificing. We're sacrificially giving a Sunday morning service and sowing it into our cities. You think God's not going to honor that? See, we're trying to do everything we can to demonstrate and illustrate for you the importance of generosity. Say, Gertrude, be calm. He's not receiving an offering. And he's not taking one either. Just, just so you know, just don't get all nervous on me here. You mess with me, I might just take one anyway. Man, we don't receive them, we take them. Anyways, this kid just blew my whole teaching, didn't it, right there? Hmm. For the ministry of service, the offering, is not only supplying the needs of saints, God's people, but it also, oh, it is also overflowing through many expressions of thanksgiving to God. So in other words, there's all different kinds of ways to honor God. So it's not just honoring God with your time and your Bible study and your prayer. You need to do that. But it's also honoring God with good works and doing things, but also healing the sick and the oppressed and just being kind, right? So it says uh, down here in verse 13, I think it is. I don't have a glass on there. Because of this act of ministry, they will glorify God for you, for your obedience to the gospel of Christ, which you confess. So in other words, if you want people to love your God, treat them right. Be good to them, even when they're not good to you. If you want them to someday come to Christ, you're not going to beat them over the head. You've got to love them. Just, that's four Bs. You belong at Bethel, right? We love you just as you are, not as you or anyone else thinks you should be. Because of this act of ministry, they will glorify God for our obedience to the gospel of Christ, which you confess, as well as your generous participation in this gift for them and for all the other believers in need. And they also, along with you, while they pray on your behalf because of the surpass, surpassing measure of God's grace, his undeserved favor, mercy, and blessing, which is revealed where in you, 
Now thanks be to God for this indescribable gift, which is precious beyond words. What's he talking about? The gift of generosity. How can I live in grace if I can't give grace? How can I live in generosity if I don't practice generosity? So the key in life is this, guys, is that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but we need to understand the why, the reason we're given, not the what or the to. Now, we'll talk about the what or two. We share the vision, and that's good. But that should, that should inspire you some. But what should inspire you more than anything is the why. You're given. This is just another opportunity for you to express your grace and love towards your Heavenly Father. You're not given to people in the trailer court we minister to. You're not, you're not given to the widow's farm. We built fences and cut trees down. You're not, you know, you're not given to all the firefighters we minister to. You're not given to the nursing home. No, no. That's a fruit of you giving to the Lord. So, so the first time we did for the city, the sign-ups were low. And I stood up here the Sunday morning before it, and I said this, and after I said it, the devil's like, you're an idiot. But I don't really care. I said, if you don't feel convicted, you may be working or something, but if you don't feel convicted or a heart to go out on a Sunday morning and serve your community, this may not be your church. As a matter of fact, it probably isn't your church. And you could go find all kinds of churches. You can sit in and get bold like a frog getting ready to be cooked. You can do that. You can, you can sit around in any building you want to sit around in. But if you're a part of this house, you'll at least be convicted for not showing up. The turnout was okay. The last turnout was a busy time of year, spring break for kids or whatever it is, not fall break for kids and all that. So you thought, well, it'd be a lower number. No, it was 50% more people showed up that Sunday. And the next time we do it, I already told our leadership team, I said, what I want to do now is every one of us invite someone that doesn't go to church or someone disconnected or, 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 or someone who's down or whatever. Maybe they're in a church, but they, they just feel down. And Get them to come and serve alongside you on a project. You're talking about like taking a foxtail, setting it on fire and throwing it in the enemy's camp. Bring those people that work with you to serve with you, and you won't have to explain what your church is. You know, they used to call Bethel the come and see church because we were doing so much in the community and doing so many things, and, and the, our reputation was getting out, even though we were less than five years old at the time. And, and people said, well, what kind of church? I said, just tell them you're a come and see church. Come and see the miracles. Come and see the salvations. Come and see us minister to Third Street and neighborhoods. Come and see. We're the, you're going to see the church. It's not just come and hear what the church thinks it believes. You're going to see the ecclesia of God, ecclesia. So I'm fired up already about the next two. We already got two scheduled for the cities. But see, see, that's the way it is every, every day of our life should be that. Looking for a way to say a kind word, buying somebody a coffee, being generous, being generous with your time when you don't have time to really be generous with and sow a few extra minutes into somebody. And it's the same way when you come here. I just want you through tough times because I'm telling you, we're, all, we're floating real high like we did in the 90s as far as the economy. But I can tell you, be of good courage. It always goes down again. And I think it's going to go down quicker this time than in the 90s. And then it'll come back up again. But here's the thing. What helps you is when you are generous with God, he's generous for you. 
and he'll find a way to, to get his grace in your life. Because remember, grace is abounding towards you in every way, right? In all things. Surpassing grace of God is abounding towards you in all things. In all things. And so, so what I want you to realize is the way that happens is the number one thing is your heart, right? You know, a lot of people have a heart for teaching, a heart for preaching, a heart for prophecy, a heart for healing, a heart for see people saved, a heart for deliverance. But I believe if you don't have a heart for generosity, those are basically of non-effect or very little effect. But if you have a heart of generosity, it gives God something to build on. What? How do you get more fruits to your righteousness? Not praying, praying louder and harder. You get more fruits to your righteousness by releasing, releasing grace to others. And the way you release grace to others, that means you do it through generosity. We're going to pray, but before we do, Steph and I, we're, we love people, and so if we're on vacation or anywhere, it seems like we'll get caught in a conversation. Oh, the boys will be like, oh, God, Dad, how long? Somebody go and get him out of the gas station. You know, he's still in there. <laughs> and Steph can be like that too. And why is that? Because because it, it cranks me up when I get to help somebody. It cranks me up if I feel somebody's receiving something, if I feel it could just be a little change in their life. Little, now, I can't do that always, but when I feel re- released to the Lord, and I do it more often than not, man, I, I'll, I'll just invest for 30, 40 minutes. I'll give them, Steph says, my God, everybody, why do you have a cell number? Everybody in Lexington has it. Then we're on vacation. Everybody in Florida has it. Everybody in California has it. And, and I'll who called me? You know, I always say, put your name, I'll know it's you. And I still don't even know who it is. When they call me, I just talk to them. <laughs> because I know we had a connection. I just got to listen to them until I pick it up, what it is. And then I can just pick right up where I was.